0: Well, good morning, church, and happy Easter. Let me tell you, this is so much better than last year. I mean, last year I was one of seven people here. I'm, you know, i doing the live stream. It's just good to see people. And thank you. That's so good to be here. I, I just wanted to, before I start, we had a wonderful Good Friday service. And today I just want to say a special thanks to our orchestra. They do just for what they do and everybody else that participates. But thank you for that. what a joy to be in Charleston in the spring it's beautiful I thought about something Martin Luther said who died in 1546 and lived in Germany rejoiced in the German Springs he said that the Lord has seen fit to not only record the hope of the resurrection in a book but in every budding tree and flower you see the glory of God's creation and uh, I said amen to that. And I, I thought about this week through in, the, in, in the nation of India, Hindus have a festival called the, the Festival of, of Holi, And it's a celebration of color and vibrancy and new beginnings and the, the inner, end of the winter. And they will literally go in the streets. And as you see, they will throw chalk on each other as they celebrate the vibrancy of colors. And as I thought about that, I thought, we have our own celebration of spring here with their vibrant colors called Pollen. Where we are covered with, with uh, pollen, so that's part of the downside of spring. I, I did talk to someone recently who had a a coworker who moved here from out of state, and after being here for two days, she said, "Why do you guys throw yellow chalk in their street every day?" And they said, "No, that's called pollen." And I thought, the noceums are coming, so just be ready. So it's it's a glorious time, a time of. Rejoicing and gladness and let let me read a passage of scripture that will be read throughout Christendom today. This is in First Corinthians 15 in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about the glory of the resurrection, and he says, starting in verse 20, he says, But in fact, if Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, the first fruits, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or who are dead. For as by one man came death, by one man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He's the first fruits, the pioneer. He's the one who's opened the door of hope and life. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said this, he says, uh, He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And in the same chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and so is your faith. We are to be found as men who are misrepresenting God because we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, only the here and now, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Christ be not risen from the dead and it's just here and now and nothing beyond, we're to be pitied and we're misrepresenting God. We're found to be liars. And so th- today we declare that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, my thesis is this the resurrection of Jesus from the dead births hope. In the heart of a believer in Christ, a hope that gives persevering strength to continue life, to go forward, and hope that gives us joy even in the midst of trials and tribulations and heartache. So it he gives us persevering grace and it carries us along and gives us hope. Let me just read a couple of verses on hope. Acts 26, Paul says, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Romans 2, or Romans 5, verse 2, for through Jesus we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 15, the God of love fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may have and abound in Hope. Galatians 5, we are eagerly await for the hope of righteousness, Colossians 1. We've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope that is laid for up in you in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, we've been born again to a living hope. You see, hope. So hope is that belief that says Christ has died on the cross for my sins. He's been raised from the dead, which is a statement that he is who he claimed to be. He lived among men. He's ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. Hope is birthed by the resurrection. And my question is, how is your hope? How's your joy? How's it going? There's a movie I mentioned two weeks ago called The Shawshank Redemption. One of my favorite movies. The stories about it in the Northeast, the prison system, a man who's been there, placed there named Andy, who didn't do his crime, but he meets an older man named Red, played by Morgan Freeman, who did do his crime, but Morgan Freeman becomes his very dear friend, and Morgan Freeman has just gone through twice, chance for parole at the 10 and 20 year mark, both times denied, and so in the aftermath of that, Andy does something, and he's put in solitary confinement for two weeks, two weeks which is unheard of in that prison system. And so after two weeks, Andy comes in the lunchroom and puts his tray down. The guy said, welcome back, Andy. How'd it go? He says, the easiest two weeks of my life. And they said, no way. And he laughed and said, well, I had Mozart with me. He would played Mozart and gotten in trouble. And one guy said, did they let you take a record player in there? He says, oh, no, no, no. I've got it here. And he says, and if you got it here, they can't take it from you. Says you have hope. And at that point, Red, who's disgruntled, looks at him, and he says this. He says, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope's a dangerous thing because hope can drive a man insane. It has no place on the inside. Here in prison, better get used to that idea. There is no hope. And it's interesting. If you think about people... You look at life, and there's the death of hope example. Some people say, I've got $10 in the, my savings. That's all I've got left. But I'm going to buy 10 lottery tickets, and I'm going to visualize winning the lottery, and I will win because you can visualize. If you visualize it, it will come true, whatever that means. So I'm going to visualize winning the lottery. So they always live with hope this not realized. And then other people start off with, hope in different things, but they end up being disappointed and they become older and more sedentary and more stooped and more crotchety and more cynical and more get off my lawn as they stand on the front porch in their underwear. But then there's a third path, and that's the hope of the gospel. That says Christ has died on the cross for my sin. He was raised from the dead for my justification. He's ascended to heaven and he's coming home. Yes, this life has trials and tribulations, but eternity awaits. You see, here's my, my here's something. what you place your hope in will determine the direction of your life. Yeah. And so what happens, some people, you know, when, when they're young, especially, they, they, they place their hope in a movement or a system or a person. And whenever you place your ultimate hope in, that is called idolatry. And the the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So you place your hope in that, and and it it always, listen, it always disappoints. Conversely, if we see the good gifts of God as signposts to the good creator who loves us and who is eternal, and his name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we place our hope in him, it, it goes well. So let me give you some examples. There is a school in the upstate where they wear orange. And uh, a few years ago, there was a young man who's sitting over here, who, I was talking to him, and he said, Pastor Brown, I really love college. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, my freshman year, we went to the national championship. My sophomore year, we won the national championship in football. My junior year, we, we went to the playoffs, and my senior year, we won it again. And I said to him, don't get used to that. That's not normal. It will not last. And all the Gamecocks said, Lord, hasten that day. You know, it's just, it's not going to last. I I said, for example, I said, let me tell you something. A a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I cheered for a team called the Dallas Cowboys. They were called America's team. And people look at me young and say, why? I said, because occasionally they won football games. No more. No more. 500 season is to be rejoiced in now. Things don't last. So the other day I was in a fitness center working out. And there was a woman there, young woman, young man. And they were modestly dressed. They weren't calling attention to themselves. But they were beautiful people. And they were cut. I mean, just. And, and there's somewhere between the age of 24 and 29 and a half. Because after 29 and a half, you kind of taper off. So they're they're right there, they're in that window. And I I was kind of looking at them by the side of my eye, thinking, oh my soul. I wanted to go over there and say to them, as an old guy, let me tell you this, this is not gonna last. (laughs) It just ain't gonna last. I mean, enjoy it while you can, because it's gonna, you know, it's gonna, but I didn't didn't do it because I was afraid they knew, you know, some martial art and they'd beat me up or whatever, but but it's just not going to. I mean, I've got seven weddings, I think in the next 10 weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, anyway. I love weddings. Weddings are great. Oftentimes, maybe the majority of cases, people come to the wedding altar thinking they're marrying the one for them, the perfect one for them. And then four months or five months later or a year later, they wake up and they say to themselves, I married not the perfect one. I married the wrong one. You know, and I I don't say that dismissively. I mean, it's just that you, somewhere along the line, you hit a wall and you say, I really did marry a sinner. I really did marry someone who is, who who can be very self-centered or very uncaring. And that's where covenant and grace comes in and you walk together and love together and see the Lord together. But if you place all your hope in a marriage relationship, it will disappoint you. Then you have children. And you think, oh, this is it. This is my genetic gift to my generation. This baby, the repository of greatness right here in my hands. And, and you know, children are wonderful. What a gift to see our kids today. But in reality, your kids are also what? Sinners who need grace. So, so if, you, if you place your hopes in these gifts instead of the Lord... At least to, to, to frustration. The greatest statement made outside of the Bible in the history of the Western tradition was made by, this is my opinion, by a man who died in 430, whose name was Augustine. And this is what Augustine says. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless to find their rest in you. And I ask you as I think about that, how is your hope? How's your joy? Are you placing it in the gifts or in the creator? Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. It says, so in light of the resurrection of Christ, verse 16, we do not lose heart. See, sustaining grace. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction called life is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, or so, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because what is seen is passing, but on what is eternal, and it can never be taken away. So, so I, I ask. How, how is your hope? There's a book called 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. And he talks about, we, we, he says, I, I rejoice in your endurance. See, your endurance going forward, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So see, persevering grace. And then he dropped down to verses 9 and 10 in the first chapter. And he gives a paradigm for faith. He says, they report what kind of reception you guys gave us. And they tell us. As I see them, they are turning from, they're, 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 how they've turned to God from idols. See, turn from idols, see these things, to God to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, who saves us from the coming judgment. So here's the paradigm they report how you turn to God from these idols. To serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. This is Jesus whom he raised from the dead and who saves us from the coming judgment. That's a paradigm for faith. That's what we're about. See, all of us, if we name the name of Jesus, we are turning continuously to God from idols because our hearts are idol-making factories. It says, Lord, don't let me put my ultimate hope here, but in you. So we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who saves us from the coming judgment. So, so how, how's your joy? How is your, your hope? And let's go back to the festival of, of Holi, the Hindu festival. And Bear with me, let me explain this to you. So, Holi is a, uh, a festival that also celebrates, if you're an observant Hindu, it celebrates the victory of light over darkness or evil. In Hinduism, there is a one of their chief gods is the god Vishnu. Vishnu has ten earthly manifestations. He's come to earth ten different times, as a fish, as a tortoise, as a conquering warrior, as a boar, a pig, and his fourth manifestation was to come as the lion man. That's a picture of of uh, the lion man, Vishnu. Be- because evil had been given this promissory note, and and their Mythology. Evil was told that you will never be killed by a man or an animal, and you will not be killed in the day or in the night. So, Vishnu became not a man or an animal, but the man lion, and he didn't fight evil in the day or in the night, but at twilight, and he killed evil and ripped out his heart with his lion paw. And, And so, that, that's the story. Now, if you go to India today or to a Hindu community here in Charleston and you say to, to people who have thought through these things, do you really believe that Vishnu became a lion man and fought evil? I said, no, well, we don't, that didn't really happen, but it's a wonderful myth that helps us think about the deeper meaning of life. It gives, it gives cohesion to, to our communities. So, yeah, yeah but We don't believe that Vishnu became a, a, a shepherdess or a, or, or a tortoise or a boar or the lion, man. No, 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 it's just helpful myths. Well, let me just stop here. The Bible says with incredible clarity that if Christ did not come in the flesh, live a perfect life, and die on a wooden cross, and shed his life blood and have marks upon his head where a crown of thorns was pressed down and spears in his side and nails in his hands and his feet. And this, God in the flesh died and was laid in a tomb with a huge stone. And three days later, the huge stone was rolled away and he was seen by over 500 men and he ascended to heaven and he's there now. He's coming up. It's a wild story. But they would say, this is blazing truth. It's not a helpful myth. If it's just a helpful myth, Paul says, let us eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and nothing makes sense. So so really, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead calls for decisions in our heart to turn to God from these idols, for either for the first time when we come to faith in Jesus or for the one millionth time as we walk with Christ today. So I ask you, how is your hope? And that's what this quote by C.S. Lewis, this is my favorite quote by C.S. Lewis, it talks about being the Lord is either a Lord, he is the Lord, or liar or lunatic. Let me just read it. Lewis says, Lewis became a believer after years of of thought. He was a professor of medieval English at at Oxford. He died in 1963. Anyway, I I love C.S. Lewis. He says, I'm trying to, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And then Lewis says this. This is a penetrating insight. He said, that is the one thing we can never say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says, hi, I'm a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was, and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being merely a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not he did not intend to do so. I just thought that's so, so clear to me. So, how's your hope? I was in line the other day and there are two guys behind me talking. They are talking somewhat loud. I got was eavesdropping. And uh, one guy, they're really nice guys. I wish I knew them. But they, one guy said, You know, let me ask him, does your, does your wife worry? And he said, Oh. I, I don't know. He says, he says, my wife never worries. He says, she's just, nothing phases her. I have to do all the worrying in our home. And his friend goes, I don't know about my wife, and let me tell you somebody who does not worry, my business partner. said, so last night I was up at ten fifteen trying to balance the books to make payroll to exist another month, and I realized he's at home sleeping. He never worries. And then when i 'm talking so I stand there and say, what is my worry index?" Yeah. And I thought about some of the things that I, I do worry about. I, I, do, I do worry about so many people in this community in our area who occasionally go to church to say the name of Jesus, but i don 't think they understand the glory of the cross and the forgiveness of sin and really the hope that is ours and the desire to, to live for him and live for the, we call people like that some people do nominal Christians which means they're really not Christians they're, they're, they're not and if they die today they go to eternal judgment that really worries me I have hmm, um, I, I worry about some of the young people I talk to who are at the top of their game in many ways and, and yet they're making huge decisions, and they're not making them, I think, with wisdom under the authority of Scripture, talking to people. They're just kind of doing this, and I'm thinking, man, these decisions will mark your life for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. Let me speak from experience. They will mark your life. So set your hearts strong, college students, so strong. I worry, quite honestly, I don't want to to belabor this, but I worry that, that I think in our day and age, our culture is gall- galloping away from foundational truths. And, and I worry about the world my grandkids will get. Yeah. I've heard this phrase, I heard it in the, excuse me, I read about it in the Harry and Megan interview. I didn't watch it. I don't want you to lose your respect for me. I didn't watch it. I just read excerpts from it. And they talked about, talked about well, that is your truth. I hear that a lot. That's your truth. This is my truth. Let me t- give you a basic lesson in, 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 you know, in logic. There's no such thing as your truth or their truth. There is a truth. See? A truth. And so we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. See? He is risen from the dead. That's not my truth. That's the, the apostolic truth. That, that's the truth that caused many men to go to their death who were eyewitnesses crying out, Jesus is risen from the dead, okay? I I worry about, I worry about grandkids. The other day, Friday morning, uh, Friday afternoon, I picked up my three-year-old grandson, Uh, we have great, wonderful grandkids, from our PCA daycare. And uh, the teacher was there, as always, they're so kind, and they they gave me a little piece of art that they'd done, is they'd colored. Uh, two paper place and put them together in his blue and pink with the cross and it on the top the teacher had written uh, he is not here he is risen as he said Matthew 28 verse 6 and they said give this to his parents and I picked up the door hanger and I thought not a chance I said I'm keeping this I'm keeping this and uh, I just said lord Please let my grandkids see that this is not, Easter isn't a a familial heritage that holds us together and lets us do things, but let them see that Easter represents the blazing truth of the empty tomb and the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And may that give them hope and sustaining mercy and joy in the journey. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the hope. I thank you, Lord, that, that, that the final word is not death or cancer or heart disease or brokenness, but the final word is this going to be okay? You've risen from the dead. It's the first fruits. It will be okay. And we can trust you and look to you and rejoice in that. And for that, we're thankful, and we are very hopeful. So Lord, fill your people with hope today. And and let those among us who aren't sure what they believe, think about the reality of the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses and the resurrected Savior and the ascended Savior and give them on this Easter the birth of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.